Welcome, Internet, to the Pixel Play Podcast, your weekly gaming discussion podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Kalen, a.k.a. Catastrophe, joined as always by my co-host, Adam C.S. Radical. This week, Chris, Jin and Chris, decided he wanted to spend Valentine's Day with his fiance. What a loser. But we're still here to talk to you guys about all things video games, including Hogwarts Legacy. We're going to be talking about Xbox Game Pass cannibalizing actual game sales and why you're going to be paying more for Nintendo games. If you like that, we are now recording live right now on YouTube uh, via YouTube Live. You can find us at Pixel Play Podcast, wherever you get your podcast later if you miss the show or on YouTube itself if you want to see our lovely faces. With that being said, Adam, how are you doing this week? We're going live. It's going it's going swimmingly. There's no delay issues. We haven't had any problems with, you know, Discord or any audio plot. Nothing has gone wrong. We're coming to you live without any issues whatsoever. Okay, fine. There's been a few here and there, but hey, such is the internet. Nothing else is any different. But we are going to be doing live from now on, assuming the internet gods allow us to. We'll see. We got at least an hour of talking to do here. We'll see how long that goes for. But otherwise, I'm doing fantastic. How are you today, Galen? I'm doing well, doing well. Just uh, yeah. been a good Valentine's Day. I haven't done anything super big. Um, Jen and I are not huge, big Valentine's people. We don't get into that sort of thing, but uh, it's been good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm not really into it that much either. I mean, we do something around that time just because we're like, well, hey, we haven't gone out in a little bit. Why don't we do something? It's never a, oh, it's Valentine's Day. We have to do X, 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 X. Like, it's more like, okay, well, if whenever I guess we're together next, because our work schedules are over the place. She works where she hmm. travel or she does traveling back and forth. So it's not as easy for hmm. us to just go, yeah, on this day we'll go. So we'll usually just like go to dinner or something, or if there's a movie around that time, especially before COVID days, if there was a movie going on, we would absolutely go and do that. But oh, you know, four times. Yeah. Before those times, there wasn't really much else going on. I, I personally, I don't know how you feel about Valentine's day. I, it's one of those days that I don't care. I, I, I do stuff anyway, but it's not because of the day itself. It's just because it's like a, Oh, Hey, yeah, you know what? We haven't gone out for a little bit. Why don't we just go freaking get some some tasty ass food and be done with it? Yeah, like I said, I mean, it's not about what I think of Valentine's Day. It's about what you know the missus does. And fortunately, she's like me, and we both are kind of like, eh. We we do something to acknowledge the day, but we keep it low key. Like we're like we don't go all out with like flowers and going out to restaurants and stuff because like it's ridiculous to pay those jacked up prices. Um, I think I got Jen like a small ten dollar thing of flowers just to acknowledge it but like I, I said to her i said if it was going to charge me more than that i'm not paying that so she's she has low expectations and i exceed them so it's a good combination to have yeah i mean realistically i look at it as two things one a day that i don't care about and two the day before the day i start going to grocery stores and seeing all the clearance and chocolate that's now on sale because it's now past valentine's day so now you can start gorging exactly. on it the same way that halloween does it the same way that easter does it the same way that christmas does it that's what i always look forward to half price candy and chocolate exactly exactly uh this week uh, ladies and gentlemen like i said we were gonna be talking about hogwarts legacy adam you are playing hogwarts legacy uh what do you think so far well, aside from, you know, well, I, I, I guess I already like it more because unlike your video we're having, we're having, you know, there's no delay when I play the game. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, I want to come in hot to our first live show. Well, I guess I shouldn't say first live show. It's not like we haven't streamed this show live before. But on this channel, it's the first time we're doing this live. But 
I, I really got to come in hot here. I don't know what, like, all my friends, any reviews that I've seen of it that are, like, really high scores and praising the hell out of it. Guys, I got to level with you. Take your rose-colored glasses off. It's a good game. It's not that good. Okay, can we just tone it down a notch? I know that Harry Potter games traditionally suck, and we haven't had one in a long time. But this game isn't fucking game of the year tech. Like, I'm see like some of my friends that are talking about it, they're acting like it's like a high point in gaming history that we've had such an amazing Harry Potter game. I'm like, guys, I know that we're used to film-based games being absolute trash. But it's okay. You can just say that this is a decent game. Like, look, I'm 10 hours in. I've gotten a good chunk of, you know, exploration under my belt. I'm like, I think my character's like level 16 or 17. So I put a little bit of work in. I've done a few classes. I've done a few missions. The game is fun. I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit here, though. Like, as it, as it stands right now, if we're, if we're doing a tentative rating, I'm looking at maybe a four at best. That's not to say the game sucks or anything. I know that we live in an age where giving anything a, above a seven at, or below a seven out of ten is a, is a kiss of death. But, like, this is a pretty solid seven to, like, almost eight. But, like, there is so much wrong with this game that I can't ignore it. It's an open world game, and the pop-in, and the texture pop-ins, and, like, NPCs just teleporting in. I know it's a Harry Potter game, but they aren't that good at teleporting, okay? They're not (laughs) that good. It's pretty noticeable. It's pretty bad. Not to mention, the UI is a absolute clusterfuck. I hate it. Every time that you get a new piece of equipment, because it does the Assassin's Creed or game as a live service thing of, it's got, it's an armor, and it has a number, and you always want the higher number. The problem is, is that every time you equip it, you have to hit start, then you have to scroll to gear, then you have to scroll to the type that you want, and then you have to scroll to the one you want and click. And then if you want to change how you look in it, because not everybody wants to wear, you know, a scarf, a a dapper suit with a friggin' green dragon cloak with friggin', like, these crazy, like, motorcycle like goggles on and you don't want that look and you just want to look like a normal student at all times every time you put a new piece of armor on unless i've missed the option to always have like a certain preset you have to switch the armor back to what you want again so you look the same way again and it's a friggin' nightmare and when it comes to things like checking the map when it comes like looking at your quest when it comes to looking at your collections and stuff there's so much menuing it's really frustrating And then on top of that, they throw a lot of stuff at you so early that it's very easy to get overwhelmed to the point that I've had to say, no, I'm not doing all of this in the first couple hours. If I come across, like, let's say there's these, um, these, I can't remember what they're called. It starts with a D. I think it's like Daedra keys or something like that, where they're keys that are winged and they fly around and they lead you to a cupboard and it gets you a token that you bring back to your house, um, your common room. And there's like maybe, I want to say like 15 to 20 of them, something like that. And they're all over Hogwarts. And I, at first I'm like, yeah, I'll go look for all these. Like, that sounds like something cool to do. And then after about a couple of them, I'm like, I'm not going to spend like two hours going around this. You know what? Screw it. If I come across one, I'll do it then. I'm not going to freaking do all this completionist stuff until, unless like I happen to come across it. And it, it's a little overwhelming too. There's just, it's so much. And with the massive map that they have too, there's a lot of walking and there is fast travel, but if you're trying to go to somewhere where there isn't really an easy fast travel point, there's a lot of walking that you're doing for no reason. And there's not much around you. It's not like there are enemies to, to, to take care of. 
It's not like there's, I mean, to my knowledge at this point in the game, there's no like faster way to run. Like there's no vehicle or broom or anything. So like all that's frustrating. And then the combat is okay. Like it's fine. I don't hate it, but I also am not like super into it. I know a lot of people are praising it. I think it's fine. I, I wish you could hold the right trigger down instead of having to tap it every time for a combo. Like you can combo, I would think it would make sense if you could combo at the same time. But like, if I just want to just rapid fire off the same base spell, I'd rather just hold the trigger down rather than have to keep doing this over and over and just destroying mm -hmm. my friggin' index finger trying to, you know, throw 35 of the same blast at an enemy before it dies. So like, yeah, I'm complaining a lot here, but it still doesn't take away the fact that I actually really enjoy it. But I just, I don't see this 9 out of 10 IGN rating, or I don't see, like, the overwhelming praise that are coming from anybody that I know that's talking about it without going through, you have the lens on, you're looking at it with absolute regard for the property that you like so much, and you're not criticizing as much. The game is good, it's not great, at least from what I've gotten to it so far, and the story is not hitting me either as much as I was hoping it would. It's the atmosphere that I'm into, not necessarily the journey. Okay, so let me ask you, like, first off, just to set some grounds, like, where are you as a Harry Potter fan? Like, how how big of a fan are you? Like, did you read the books? Like, where do you fall in the Harry Potter fandom? I would say whatever's slightly above casual you could consider. Like, I have an attachment to it because I grew up with it, but I once I got to about, I think, Order of the Phoenix is when I started to, like, tune out a little bit, but I still hold, like, the first, like, especially the first three movies, I hold those pretty near and dear to me because that was, like, my childhood. Or I should say, okay. like, early teens, like, when I was still mm -hmm. in that point of, like, still being sort of kiddish and then looking in that transition being like, all right, we're going to, like, gritty stuff now. Time to play Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah. It's one of those games that I haven't played it yet. Uh, it's something that I think I'm going to get because I know Jen is huge into Harry Potter, so she wants to try it. Um, I'm lukewarm, but, I mean, with all the positive praise that it's been getting, like, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan. Like I, I've seen all the movies, but I've never read the books. So um, I don't know how it's going to resonate with me, but I'm excited to to check it out and get my own taste of it and see how it goes. Yeah, for sure. Like, like I said, like everything that's going on with that game is pretty good. Like I'm not going to sit here and say that it's a bad game, but a large part of where I've been at with, with this game is like, man, there's so much wrong with it though. And it's exactly what I thought when we heard about this game being in developmental hell for so long, that there was going to be a lot of things that were noticeable. Now, I'm hmm. still impressed with what they've put out, considering the license, considering the scope of what they've been doing. It's still really well done, but hmm. I can't help but do the same. Again, open world bias that I currently have, too, is probably showing a little bit, but like, there's so much noticeable about the game that's very uninspired. So, like, again, mm -hmm. like, the atmosphere is what's really selling it to me. So, because any time that I just walk around Hogwarts, especially the first, like, time that I started walking around after I got out of my common room, that yeah. was cool. Like, that moment really made me feel like, I guess the, uh, the cliche line is really made me feel like I was at Hogwarts. You know, having, mm -hmm. seeing all of the different rooms, going down the big staircase, going into the big mess hall and, and seeing, like, or not the, the grand hall. And just seeing all of the sites that I remember from watching the movies and when I read the first couple of books when I was younger and just imagining what it all looked like, it's what I expected it to be. 
It's just everything else now. There's there's certain things that I'm like, nah, I'm not too big a fan of that. And then there's other things where I'm like, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I like the fact that a lot of Hogwarts, there's all these little collectibles that are scattered around and they all use different spells. So like you're constantly going around being like, oh, that one needs Leviosa or oh, that one needs me to use the fire mm. spell or oh, I need to pull this thing over here. There's enough variation too that it doesn't feel like you're just you know, what a lot of open world games do, which is go to the thing, hit X, get the thing, go find the next one. There's at least some level of either puzzles to it, or there's at least some level of just remembering like what spell does what, and at least, you know, feeling like you're actually in, like you're interacting with the world rather than just hitting X to interact every single time something's there. So it does a great yeah. job of that. Like, it's it's a hit or miss. Like it does the same things that open world games do that I don't like, but it also does enough creatively and even just in the sense of just wanting to explore and your curiosity allowing you to try certain things. I think it does a great job of just letting you go and just kind of like see if there's any mysteries to be found. And it does a great job of that. And the like again, the atmosphere is truly what is getting me with this game. But there's still a bunch of things that when I do inevitably do a full review of this game, I'm going to I'm going to have like my notepad and just start flipping pages and be like, this is way wrong. Why didn't anybody talk about this thing? Like, there's a couple of things that I'm like, hmm, this this is going to get a point docked off. <laughs> it sounds to me, though, that like nothing here is problematic in terms of like a design choice. It sounds like from a design choice, most, if not everything is good. It sounds like it's more day one kind of stuff that can be patched out in the coming days and weeks yeah who knows like if there's say you know let's say a month from now if they patch out a bunch of like the texture pop-ins and and things like that like just the basic stability of the game that's a lot less mm -hmm. than i can complain about but you know at launch when people are talking about how like amazingly like amazing this game looks i'm like guys do you not notice every single time you go into a room the camera freaks out or grass just suddenly pops in or or npcs just i'm on ps5 by the way npcs just bam show up right in front of you and you're like i know teleporting exists that's not what it looks like yeah from what i heard from like the the reviews it doesn't sound like the game was like fully optimized but it, yeah i'm i'm excited to play it oh yeah no like as as someone who does have a connection and as someone who was going into this thinking this game might not be that great. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, lower my expectations. I'm pleasantly surprised by how much I like it. I'm going to be probably at a point by the time that I get to a review of this game and go, ah, but it could have been so much more. Like that's kind of the feeling that I'm getting right now where I'm like, this is good, but mm, you could have done so much with it. Speaking of doing uh, so much more, it's going to cost you more to play the next hot, one of the hottest games this year. Uh, Nintendo, I think kind of tripped and accidentally revealed, but then eventually confirmed that they're going to be charging more for some Nintendo games. So it came out in a listing that Legend of Zelda uh, Tears of the Kingdom is going to be costing you $69.99 USD for a copy of the game. Uh, this is a departure from their previous $59.99 price, but it's pretty much in line with most of what other publishers and developers are doing in terms of raising their game prices. Now, Nintendo has confirmed that this is not going to be right across the board but it's gonna be done on a case-by-case -case basis so adam i've got two questions for you and i figure we'll tackle one and then the other first of all on a case-by-case -case basis do you feel like breath of the wild is a justified case for charging 69.99 for the game um given well okay from the metric of 
Does it make it worth your money? Absolutely. With the amount of hours, like I know for me personally, as someone who played a little bit of it and wasn't too into it, I didn't like it that much, but I would still look at the amount of like time that that game gives you and the amount of content that game gives you. I think that's more than fair. I don't necessarily See, I, have a problem with that. I disagree on that point because my, my the way I'm coming at it, and once again, I think I said on this that I think Breath of the Wild is drastically overrated. But for me, I look at this game and this is, a game that has been in development for a while, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but from the previews that we've seen, it seems very much like it's using a lot of the same assets. The gameplay seems very similar. Like it doesn't seem like it's doing enough or pushing the envelope enough that this game required more work than it would make to have made breath of the wild. In actual fact, I think it would have been easier because they're using a lot of the same, you know, like tools, a lot of the same techniques, a lot of the same, assets from the previous game so for them to say this one required us to to do more maybe maybe there was a situation that it did like they are doing more but from what we've seen in the trailers and previews it doesn't look like it it looks like more breath of the wild and regardless of how you feel that i don't know if that justifies the price i mean if we're talking about a price increase from what breath of the wild was i think yeah there's an argument to be made there but in the same vein you look at a lot of the games that on playstation and xbox have you know, that $69.99 or for us, that $79.99 price tag. Hmm. There's a lot of copy and pasting, like whenever Call of Duty comes out or Madden or anything like that. So like, to me, is it worth the price? Based on other games in the market, I would say yes. If you're a Zelda fan and let's say, because we don't, neither of us have played Tears of the King because it ain't out yet. But if Hmm. the game happens to be very much a carbon copy with, you know, some slight alterations... Then, you know, on a case-to-case basis, does a $10 upgrade, uh, is that a bad deal compared to Breath of the Wild? Then I think you can make an argument for that. I think as the industry as a whole, I don't. it doesn't necessarily feel that way. Because, I mean, we've had the conversation about pricing in the industry before and in that we've been long overdue for a price hike f- anyway. So it's not exactly shocking. I mean, as a consumer, I would rather there be no price hike, but we don't always get a choice in that. It's basically our choice as a consumer if we're going to partake in that now we're talking about nintendo games where well if this game is starting at 79.99 canadian well we'll be lucky if it drops below 60 bucks anytime soon so you're really going to be paying a lot for it anyway so it doesn't make too much of a difference but compared to okay well it's never going to go below 40 to oh god it might never go below 50 now that makes a big deal to some to some people i mean granted if you are a switch and you're like pretty deep into it. It's the only console you own. Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom are going to be games that you look at and think, well, this has got to be on my list because there's not going to be too much else compared to, say, you know, with Xbox or PlayStation with the just much bigger libraries that they house. So. Yeah, I, and this is going to be my second question is like, do you think it's fair for Nintendo to be doing 799 or a 69.99 price USD, 79.99 Canadian? And I disagree. I don't, like, or I guess I kind of agree with you in the sense that I don't think it's fair for Nintendo to be doing that price hike. I think from a PlayStation and Xbox perspective, third party, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like, I think that they're doing like I don't want to say that like cutting edge stuff or better graphics denote a, a better price increase, but like they are pushing the envelope in terms of what technology does. Nintendo makes fun games; they make great games, but they don't push the envelope in terms of technological capabilities which does cost more money however like they're not like nintendo's not doing mocap stuff they're not having professional voice actors come in and do stuff so like i could see their cost being slightly lower um 
But the other thing I have is, and you kind of alluded to it, was Nintendo doesn't price drop. So I can see Sony justifying an Amazon pony. So like, I get it. But like even Microsoft, like Ubisoft, Activision, like I see them justified in that in that price increase because how their games work is that hey we charge 79.99 at launch great and then within six months you'll get a 20 30 dollar discount and then after a couple years the price will be ten dollars twenty dollars so they have to make up their they have to recoup their costs for manufacturing and development at the beginning right that's how they do it and then eventually they get diminishing returns as the game sells Breath of the Wild still is $59.99. That game came out at the same time as Horizon Forbidden West. If I look at GameStop like right now for Horizon Forbidden West, it's probably going to be like 20 bucks. And so I don't think it's fair um, for Nintendo to come out and say, hey, we need to charge more for this. No, because you're going to recoup that cost throughout the entire life cycle of the Switch, of Legend of Zelda horizon sony microsoft like they're not going to microsoft is kind of different about uh how it works with the game pass but from a developer who is publishing and a publisher who is launching a game physically and will from the moment from day one that that game drops that price and that value is going to be diminishing significantly i think that's like i don't think it's fair for nintendo to say that they have to raise the cost I'm just looking real quick yeah uh horizon Zero done. It's not even listed on GameStop. Fantastic. But, like, you know what I'm saying in that the, the, the fact that the price doesn't decrease just doesn't really, like, it kind of makes an argument for why does Nintendo need to increase the price to begin with. Yeah, like, I mean, case in point, the lowest price, I mean, I'm just looking on a website to see, like, what the lowest price Breath of the Wild's ever been in Canada. And it looks like mm-hmm. the lowest it's ever been, at least in terms of its digital shop. I'm sure like Walmart or somebody else has done it differently, but in terms of Nintendo themselves, how they priced it, $53. And so like when it's normally 80 bucks, like that's what, 25-ish? That's nothing. If you look at a PlayStation game, like within six months, you're going to get that. And by probably by 12 months, you'll get half off at some point. Depending on the game, sometimes you'll see games go to 70 by the time it's been 12 months. So like... So just for just for context i'm looking at horizon zero dawn which released pretty much like the same time as breath of the wild and right now the complete edition which also includes the dlc is 15 dollars. yeah so like yeah it goes back to that same conversation that we've had so many times and we keep joking about it and that if you're a nintendo only consumer you're getting gouged so goddamn hard by this company because they never give you a Hmm. fair deal you know for Hmm. god's sakes they're asking you to spend you know, I, I don't know if they still do it. I'm assuming they do. But I remember like on the Wii and Wii U shops where you were trying to buy like Super Nintendo games and they're asking you to pay 15 bucks for it. Hmm. And I'm like, give me five minutes. I can get an emulator with, every, with all of this stuff and I'm playing all this for free. What the hell do you want from me, Nintendo? I'm trying to get like, sure, the expansion pass was kind of meant to bridge that a little bit better. But again, like what hmm. they offer on there seems to be coming up very slowly. So it's not exactly much of an improvement there either. So it just goes back to that conversation that we've had so many friggin' times on the show that it almost feels painful to do now. But Nintendo just does not fairly price their, their stuff to their consumers. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm of the mind that I don't think that this price increase, you know, even if everyone else does it, Nintendo has, done, has deviated so far from the industry and what the industry is doing that they can't justify that. Hey, well, the, the video game industry as a whole is doing it. Nintendo, you're on your own path now. 
you can't really pick and choose when you're going to follow the industry. Yeah, I mean, I mean at the can, end of the day, like you can't justify it. It's never, it's, it's never going to look good, no matter what your case mm-hmm. is. Like you could make all the case in the world to charge ten extra dollars, and the and the public's going to hate you for it. So there's nothing you can mm-hmm. do on that front. So Nintendo, again, is probably doing the same thing that I expect they're always doing, which is they know their client base, they know they're going to just pay up for it anyway, they know they want Tears of the Kingdom, and they know it's going to be their biggest game of the year. So if there's any game to start the price hike on, this is the one. Because now they're gonna look, they're gonna look at their consumers dead in the eye and go, "What are you gonna do? You gonna not buy Zelda? Mm-hmm. Are you? Yeah. Like they're gonna they're gonna play chicken with you as a consumer. And I mean, granted, I didn't like Breath of the Wild that much, so I wasn't planning on buying it anyway. But if I was, this is the kind of thing that would have made me as a consumer go, "No, I can wait. Yeah. Or I can wait for a friend to buy it and just borrow it off them when they're done with it. Like there's yeah. always options." And it's interesting for me because I'm, I'd be curious to see what the client demographics are for Nintendo Switch users. And I'm not saying that it's all kids, but like I imagine that a large percentage of the Nintendo player base is families and, and younger kids. And like to, to raise that price, it's going to be a harder sell now for like parents to look and like, hey, I need to buy an $80 game in order to in order to play. So like mm-hmm. versus if it was like, hey, Every other game is I'm going to EB Games and I'm seeing that every game is seventy nine ninety nine. Well Nintendo's are are, are fifty nine ninety nine. Well that seems like a good deal. Like just it doesn't look good for them. And it, I, I don't feel like especially like Breath of the Wild, I feel like Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, it seems like they're just jumping on the on the popularity of the game and that they can do it, not that they're justified in doing it. No, I I don't think there well to be honest, I don't think there's ever a justification for a price hike. It's always greed. There's always a way. I just no, no. I disagree on that one. Like, if from a from perspective, like games, like it, it's taking much more people to build a game. It's like inflationary costs are a thing. So I can see for other publishers on how to do it because they're also, like I said, getting those diminishing returns. But Nintendo's not. So like that's a that's the difference. Yeah. So I mean, no matter what's going to happen, it's it's always going to be something that just stands out to people as just being an um, an unfair practice and mm-hmm. in this case i think it's one that i think as a consumer is justifiable just because of like we said nintendo has not exactly had a great history of fairly pricing their stuff anyway and i'm not to say mm-hmm. that you know breath of the wild before this price hike like coming out at 79.99 or whatever it would have been in your market i'm not saying that that wasn't a good price and I'm not even mm-hmm. saying that for the price hike they're doing for Tears of the Kingdom that it's not a bad price. But when you mm-hmm. take into perspective what Nintendo does as a business in terms of how they price stuff, I don't care what Walmart does. I don't care what Best Buy does. I don't care what Amazon does. That's a third party. We're talking about mm-hmm. Nintendo themselves on their store and how games come when they launch. And in their case, they've never fairly priced their games. For God's sakes... We're talking about Breath of the Wild, which has been out multiple, multiple years. I want to say five years now, if not even more, oh, potentially. And we long. have games out there the that have year. been around for half of that time and are under $30, Some, in some cases, even under $20. So Nintendo as we a are... business just is not fairly pricing stuff. So a hike is always going to be unpopular, but in this specific case becomes even more noticeable because so many people know that 
Now this means, for example, Breath of the Wild has never gone below $53 Canadian on the eShop for us. Now that probably means this game's never going to go below $63 Canadian on the eShop. And it might even get worse. It might not even get under 65 Yeah. Just for context, uh, we are approaching the 60-year anniversary of Breath of the Wild. Uh, yeah, March and- 3rd, 2017. And I'm sure that there's, I'm sure like, you know what, what's the price of, um, what's the lowest Forbidden West has been these days? That's, that would be a real interesting. Well, I'm sa- like I said, it's ri- it's right now $15. Well, no, 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 I'm not, ta- I'm not talking Zero Dawn. I'm talking Forbidden oh, West. Oh, Forbidden West. Sorry, Forbidden West. I can that, look it up. That, oh, I'm already looking it up right now. So we're Okay, good. you got it. The beauty of live streaming, you can check that. Forbidden West as of right now is fifty-one twenty-nine Canadian today. And the lowest it's ever been is this price. And that game has been out less than a year. And mm. it's already lower than Breath of the Wild. Yep. Less than 12 and months. This is, and that is one of their flagship why, titles. And yeah, considering for a, a console that a lot of people are just now starting to get their hands on. Like, this is what I'm saying. I feel like the diminishing returns in other publishers justifies having to recoup those costs in the early days where Nintendo doesn't have that issue. So that's just what I'm saying. It's frustrating. It is. Speaking of game sales, let's position over and see what's going on at Microsoft's camp. So with the whole acquisition of Activision, uh, we've been getting a whole bunch of uh, information and insider knowledge from um, different organizations doing sort of like analysis, provisions, reports uh, on the acquisition. So we got one from the UK Competition and Markets Authority. and they come out saying that, uh, and Microsoft c- confirms that Game Pass is affecting sales of phys- of games in and of themselves. So, I mean, this isn't a surprise to anyone, but Microsoft uh, said, or the report says, Microsoft also submitted that in its internal analysis shows a redacted percentage. Uh, they have the percentage, they just redacted it for the statement. Decline in base game sales 12 months following their addition on Game Pass. Uh, This is counter to what Phil Spencer said in 2018. Uh, He said, when you put a game like Forza Horizon 4 on Game Pass, you instantly have more players of the game, which is actually leading to more sales of the game. Uh, He continues to say, you see, well, isn't everyone just going to subscribe to $10 to go play this thing? But no, gamers find things to play based on what everyone else is playing. So initially, Microsoft came out saying that Game Pass helps boost sales, uh, but it actually seems that there is a decrease in the amount of physical copies or just copies sold of a game when it's on game pass uh, in the, in the 12 months following that. So my question to you, Adam is game pass good for the gaming industry. And this can be, there's a whole bunch of stakeholders in this. So I'll let you take that question. However you want for the industry. So we're not talking us. We're talking the industry. We're talking, I am saying as a video from the video game industry as a whole is game pass good, bad. Where do you kind of, like, where do you fall? And that could be a number of stakeholders. You can kind of go that way. Okay. Well, as a, a whole, as a whole, it. it's good. And it's not, and it's not even, a, there's, there's no thought process for me on this. So okay, if, if we're talking like in this instance, we're talking about Microsoft. So the reason why I'm saying it's good for the industry is because Microsoft has the money that they're able to afford the loss that they're going to generate with this. So immediately, don't have to care about the industry doing it because nye, that's Microsoft's problem. They can deal with it. Us as a consumer, it is an amazing thing for us because it means you don't have to worry about needlessly spending money on a game that you don't end up liking. You can try stuff. Hmm. And if you want to support the developers afterwards, you can do that. You know, you know, so like that's not an issue. 
for indie developers, this is a huge thing because it brings eyeballs to them that they never would have gotten. Because, you know, for example, a game like Beacon Pines, I never would have played had it not been on Game Pass. And there are so many games like that that from the past and in the future that I'm going to play because it's on that service because I'm not going to spend hours looking through the massive catalog in the new games territory or on Steam or anywhere else unless somebody tells me, hey, check this out, it's really fun. Otherwise, not going to check a lot of these things out. So for an indie dev, I'm sure whatever lump sum or however the pricing structure works out for them, I'm sure it's great for them because that's money that they might not have generated you know, in the same manner. They might generate a bunch early, which is going to be great to pay off their employees. Maybe it generates, you know, less in the long term, but at least they're getting the money that they need now to A, pay their employees, and B, start financing the next project they have. The only time that I think Game Pass can be at a disadvantage in the industry is for those AAA developers. So if you are a AAA developer like a Bethesda or like an Activision Blizzard, that could be where you know, having a game on Game Pass and just everybody flocking to that for the $15 they're spending on it rather than spending the 70, 80, however much special, like $150 special edition, you know, not as many people are going to buy those anymore. That's a disadvantage to them because that's far more money that they could be making. However, that being said, these are also companies that find many other revenue streams like microtransactions and many other facets like that to also generate sales. So for the most part, I think they're doing fine. Like if Call of Duty or Madden is on Game Pass, I think they'll manage to figure out how to make some money off of that. They'll be fine. But I mean, like Starfield, for example, that might come at a loss, but that's also a Microsoft thing. They have a much bigger, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I guess like a chest that they can pull money from if they need to, if saying they're going bad. So I don't think for them it's as bad. It's why like Nintendo could never offer a service in the same way to put Breath of the Wild or Mario Odyssey. Like that would just, just absolutely destroy their revenue streams. I'm sure that they would still do very, they would still do decently, but not when they can charge you $55 at the lowest ever for a video game that's really, really popular. Yeah. I'm a little bit more, I see where you're coming from. And I don't think that game pass as a whole is bad, but I think it's nuanced. I think there's some nuance in terms of whether it's good or bad. And it depends on the stakeholders. So first off, I think the biggest winners from game pass are indie developers and I'm going to call them double a developers. So like you said, there's a bunch of games that would probably never get played. Like I think like, um, a lot of the games that you've been reviewing lately. Uh, and what was that one that just got released at, from Xbox? The Oh, Hi-Fi Rush. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush. Thank you. Like that game probably did very well in terms of getting, you know, on Game Pass because it's one of those ones that your people are hesitant to spend a lot of money uh, or any money on, you know, unknowns, especially for smaller indie developers. And so it's hard for them. They're taking big risks and big gambles by investing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into their game and hoping that it's a smash hit that, that recuperates their costs, let alone makes them profit. And I think a lot of indie developers struggle with that and they don't necessarily always recuperate their costs. So for them to have a situation like Game Pass where Microsoft can come up front and say, hey, here is how much we're gonna pay you. They have a guaranteed income, they have a guaranteed revenue stream that allows them to you know, 
that cushions or parachutes them should the game be great, but just doesn't commercially sell well. On the flip side, though, like you suggested, I think the AAA developers are the ones who probably are taking a bigger hit in the sense that, yeah, you're getting fewer and fewer people buying it. I mean, it looks like Halo did well in terms of its sales, but I think as more and more people jump on Game Pass, you're going to see fewer and fewer you know, copies. And Microsoft has said that there is a, a decrease in terms of sales by being on Game Pass. So for those larger companies who could be making millions, if not billions of dollars in, in terms of selling their games, they're probably taking a hit because they're trading that risk of having a huge commercial success for taking a lump sum payment. Microsoft is doing well and Microsoft is the one, and we have to remember that Microsoft is the one that gets the money and then they're paying the developers. So if a developer takes it, they're Microsoft is basically the one taking the risk. They're saying, we're going to give you this amount of money in the hopes that it does well. The developer doesn't necessarily, if their game is a hit, they don't make more money. They've, they're kind of hedging their bets. And so, I don't think it's good for developers, especially larger ones. Smaller ones, I think it does well for them to have that guaranteed income and sort of build that reputation of who they are. And then maybe eventually saying, nope, we're going to start charging for our games because people have an idea of who we are. Um, so something like like a Hello Games or like Mike Bithel Productions or who was the guy that made... Um, uh What was that? What was that game? It was like a black and white game, but you were it was dark. Like it had like a Tim Limbo? Burton. I forget what I'm talking about. Limbo, yeah. Who made Limbo? I can't. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Limbo developer is Playdead. So like Playdead, Playdead doesn't need Game Pass anymore. They can just say, "Hey, we're making a new game, and people are going to buy it because they know who the developer is." But for someone who's unknown or who hasn't had a smashing success yet, Game Pass is great. The one of the people I think that it's going to impact most and would trickle down perhaps and affect us is. Uh, is retailers. So like, if you look at something like a GameStop and I know GameStop is um, notorious and it's not always well loved, but like that's an area for us that like, you're going to see fewer and fewer game stores. If game pass takes off. And if like, um, if PlayStation takes off, like you're going to see them have to go to other revenue streams. And we see that already with GameStop um, as people go more for digital and stuff, they, they are less, it's going to be less profitable for them to actually sell video games. And, for me, like it's something I like as a physical collector that I'd like that local video game store, even if it is a large multinational corporation, like the people there are my local, you know, video game retailers. And so I'd be sad to see them go. And I think that it would then kind of then play into the monopoly of, you know, PlayStation or Xbox having this sort of grip that they're running the marketplace. And once there's no competition, there's no competition. And so the, the price of games is at the whim of, PlayStation, right? And we see this already with Apple and Android, right? Those two have their own stores. It's their own ecosystem. They can charge whatever the hell they want. And if you don't like it, that's tough. Like there's nothing you can do. So I think having that third party, you know, physical retailer does kind of put some competition that, you know, they will undermine and undercut to a certain extent that they have to keep prices, right? You know, the fact that they have used games allows them to bring the price down and then PlayStation Network or Xbox and Xbox doesn't do as much digital they need to sort of keep up because, you know, the physical retailers are selling and clearing out their inventory, which then causes decrease. And we already see that the PlayStation Network doesn't keep up with the price of physical games. So once that competition's gone, I can see it becoming even more like what we were talking about with Nintendo, where they're just going to say, nope, that's the price of the game. Deal with it. Uh, and then lastly is, is the gamers. Like right now, Game Pass is a fantastic deal. But 
I think, you know, it's not sustainable, right? They're, they're very much doing what Netflix did. They're coming in 10 bucks a month, seven ninety nine a month, whatever. It's a great deal. Become market leaders. And then eventually they're going to start charging more. They're going to start cutting back on the service and the competition is going to be gone. So there's going to be no reason to it. I don't imagine that, you know, they're making any money on game pass. I think that they're probably losing money by the, t- the amount they're paying off and everything. So I, I don't think that this price is sustainable and there will be a price increase at some point. And I just, I, I so I think right now it's good, but I think as they become more cement and that becomes the standard and my Xbox has more control, you know, they'll start increasing the price. Yeah. I think there is a potential down the road that if like, for example, I have game pass ultimate, I'm pretty sure there's a somewhere down the road. It's going to be over $20 a month. And that'll get to a point where I have to decide, okay, is that worth it to me? Somewhere down hmm. the road, and I don't know how you'd feel about this idea, but if, you know, you're, say like Starfield is a great example. If you're worried that Starfield, hmm. if it, I'm like, I'm assuming it doesn't have microtransactions, I'm sure it will because everything hmm. has microtransactions these days, but let's just assume it doesn't. Would this be the time to suddenly institute, like you could just call it, I don't know, like Xbox Premium or Xbox Feature or whatever like name you want to come up with your PR team with. And those are the very few select games. Like Xbox Select, there's a great name. And those are one of the few games that don't get put on Game Pass. Those are the ones that if you want to play, you got to pay the full price for. As if it's them Mm -hmm. saying, this is the most premium of content we have to offer and this is the ones that you should be paying for. Like in the same way that Sony right now with PlayStation Plus, they don't put Horizon, they don't put God of War. You know, right now they don't put a lot day one, like obviously Stray being one of the few, but there's at least a precedent now that like you see what kind of games do get on and what kind of games don't. So is that potentially something Xbox takes a look at? You know, I don't know. It would maybe make sense. Like if there is a game out there that is single player, no micro, like there's no like, like over the top like skins or it's not a live service game it's not multiplayer so there's not all these extra packs you gotta get it's just here's the game 20 hours go is that the kind of thing that if it's if it's going to be a big name do you maybe take that off the service because it might be better in terms in the long run for how much money you generate off of that but the only downside i guess would be is if they make that choice now they have to make sure that those games are actual high quality because if it ends up being broken or a mess or just people don't like it, now everybody's going to look at Xbox Select or whatever the name is and be like, that's not necessarily meaning it's going to be a good game. Why would I want to pay full price for that? And they just wait for it to either come on Game Pass later or for it to drop in price, which also affects sales. Well, I think it's also a double-edged sword. Is that if they, let's say, let, let's stick with the, the notion or the theory of xbox select so if they had xbox select games and those ones weren't on game pass because those represent the premium experience of xbox that then diminishes the value of game pass because i think the biggest sell of game pass right now is that you can play the biggest hottest games on the xbox for i don't know 10 15 bucks a month and so if they got rid of it then that does a situation where you're not getting as much value because the big games aren't on there and then what does that mean for the games that are on there and this is what playstation's doing and i think this is what playstation for I don't know if we've got numbers is struggling with is that their best content isn't on PlayStation Plus. So why am I going to pay for it when the stuff I really want to play, the big stuff I'm paying for anyways, the value proposition isn't there because the stuff that's on there is either quite old, not super great quality or like is a mediocre like I say mediocre, but it's not 
the best here. So I'm, I'm paying for a service that is stating to me, we're not putting the best content on there. You have to pay for that separately. Yeah, it is kind of like, you know, you got you to compare the two. Like Xbox, everything's there and it's a decent price compared to Sony where I think it's either the same or more and it doesn't offer as much in terms of quality. So it, it really depends on on what it, what either side does. Like if Sony dropped the price a little bit to say extra, you know, and hmm. it was, you know, if it's the same service, but the price was down a little bit, I think it would be much more justifiable because the games they put on every month, there's some really good stuff that's on there, assuming you haven't already bought it. So I think as a service, it's a great thing that, you know, every month you pop back into if you're not subscribed monthly to so go, yeah, you know what? I'll buy a month of extra and go and play that game. I haven't had a chance to try it or I was always nervous that I, that I wasn't sure I wouldn't like it. So like, for example, tried Death Stranding, did an hour, didn't like it. And that didn't cost me a cent apart from what I paid for extra. And that kind of stuff helps a lot because instead I could have been paying, I don't know, like $30, $40 at the time, like who knows? And now that's $30, hmm. $40 that, you know, I can't get back. Sure, I can like try to sell it back on the third party markets. Like I can try to Kijiji it or something or Facebook Marketplace, but that's a pain in the ass. I don't want to do that. And then if I go to GameStop, they'll give me probably 10 bucks at most for it. So I'm really losing money no matter what I do. So yeah. these services to me as a consumer, they work out fine. It's just a matter of between the two, what does either need to do to make it better? So in, in Sony's case, they either need to lower the price and they need to put a little bit more on it in terms of its own quality. Or in Xbox's case, they need to either, unfortunately, hike the price a little bit more, or they need to decide if there are just certain games that they're willing to take a hit on PR-wise to take off and offer mm -hmm. that. Because let's say, if, like, honestly, as a consumer, if they said, like, here's, like, five games a year that we're not going to put on the services, like, the best of the best, five being, like, the max, because, I mean, with the way Xbox is right now, it's not like that many games in, from their major studios <laughs> are coming out. But like, yeah. if it was say like two or three games a year, it wouldn't hurt me that much. Like I under I'd understand, especially if those are the peak, like of their of their libraries. I wouldn't have a problem in the same way that I don't have a problem spending full price for Horizon or God of War or things like that. I think honestly that's fair because they're like to get a game essentially like God of War. Like if God of War was free on PlayStation Extra, that is a steal of all fucking steals. So, and that's kind of what Game Pass is right now. And that's why it's so attractive. But as a business model, if you're looking to make the most out of it, is that necessarily what you want to do? Like if they have a God of War level game, do they want to put that on Game Pass? Does it maybe increase enough, you know, subscriptions that it might help them? Or is it actually going to hinder them because they won't make as much money if they just sold the game at full price at launch? So it really is that question of what are you as, as a company willing to sacrifice or what is you as a company willing to take in terms of a PR hit or in terms of a hit, if you're in say Sony shoes and you have to lower the price for your current model because it it maybe just isn't being valued correctly to in the eyes of the fans. And for all we know, it might not even be a bad value for extra, but Game Pass is such a good deal that it makes extra look like a horrible deal. Exactly. I don't know what exactly. the I don't know the, what the, the correct answer is. All I know is as a consumer, I didn't have to pay a cent for Hi-Fi Rush and it was it's right now my game of the year. So I have nothing to complain about. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, like, it'll be interesting down the line, like, you know, I know we've had Game Pass for quite a while now, but like to see what it does in like the next five, 10 years, because it is changing the industry and it'll be interesting to see where it goes.
Adam, let's wrap up the show. Uh, it's another week, so you have another review for us. Uh, this time we are reviewing A Space for the Unbound. So ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we do not get our games ahead of time and we pay for them on our own dime. So we bring you video games when we can, as we can, bringing you untimely reviews. Uh, Adam, tell me about A Space for the Unbound. The streak is still alive. I feel like I'm the Undertaker right now in terms of just like the WrestleMania streak. I have the the uh, untimely review streak going on. It's oh, yeah. gonna come to a point that it ends. Next week is probably gonna be that week based on what I'm what I'm not playing because it's literally just Hogwarts Legacy right now. Potionomics, I, I honestly liked it. a lot, but like huh? Potionomics is the kind of game that you can easily drop and come back to later because it's like a deck builder game. Hmm. So it's it's not something that you're like. Like, oh, I need to do all of this at once. There's no real story to it. So it's easy to just come and mm. go with that game. But Hogwarts is going to take a while to finish. So maybe the streak ends next week. But for now, it's not over. We got a space for the Unbound. This is a game that I have been looking forward to. I don't even remember. Am I able to look at my own channel? When did I do a demo of it? Because I did a demo for a space for the Unbound when it came out on the Steam like summer demo thing that they did. Yeah, it was okay. So I found it. I can't believe I actually found that that easily. And it was, I can't see the actual date. Oh, June 24th of 2020. That's a long time ago. And I played a demo of it. And I adored it. Now, I have a bit of a bias going in because it's made by the same company that does Coffee Talk. And anybody who has listened to the show enough times has heard me gush about that game plenty. So it's no surprise there. I mean, it's the same publisher, I'd say. It's not the same developer. Toge Productions is, you know, they work with different places around. Usually, it seems to be like a lot of what they work with is around um, a Southeast Asia because I believe Coffee Talk came from Thailand, if I'm not mistaken. This game of Space for the Unbound came from developers in Malaysia. And they did a fantastic job with this game. I said, I think last week when we were talking about, you know, what we were playing, I mentioned that this game was very much in the realm of oh my god this game is going to make me absolutely just die of of crying and emotional like just distraught and um yeah i was right <laughs> it was really emotional towards <laughs> this game it doesn't mince words when it's uh it has a message at the start of the game that gives you your trigger warnings because it has themes of suicide themes of anxiety themes of depression it does not sugarcoat the fact that this game takes some pretty sensitive stuff and, and goes full bore with it and does it in a very, very well-told manner, does it in a very short manner. It doesn't take too much time to hold on it. I honestly thought I wasn't going to be done this game when we came to this week, and I was done over the weekend, and I was shocked because I thought this was going to be a like eight to nine chapter game. It's like five chapters, and they're all about maybe an hour-ish, so I want to say like it was a five to six hour experience, but I guess that's why it also ends up being very well done. It's because it doesn't have time to outstay its welcome. It's over, you know, way before you expect it to. So it suddenly comes to that sudden end and you're like, oh, shit. So I'm talking randomly vague for a game that I haven't even really explained yet. So a space for the unbound. Essentially, you play as Atma, who is a boy that has this strange magical power that he has this red book that he holds and it allows him to essentially dive into people's minds and is able to, you know, deal with someone's inner thoughts. Like if somebody's having severe anxiety over something or if someone's, you know, really distraught, you know, he's able to go in there and through a puzzle solve that problem and help them, you know, get past whatever, you know, emotional block that they've run into. And 
it just takes place while he's in high school dealing with, you know, the trials and tribulations that comes with being a high schooler trying to, you know, deal with, you know, the relationship you're developing with your girlfriend. That just, you know, happens to take a few turns here and there that almost results in the apocalypse. But hey, that's the average life of a, of a teenager in most video games these days. You're just, you're, you're getting Changing. ready just to... Changing bodies in the apocalypse, you know, teenage years. Look, you you save a cat and then you got to kill God. Like, that's just the natural order of things. That's how everything works in video games. But exactly the idea that the game kind of goes, and I don't want to say too much about the story because it's a lot of spoilers given how much time the game actually spends. So there's not a lot to explain without getting into too much of a spoiler territory. But the game starts off with making you think that something's happened to you but not tipping its hand and as the game progresses you start to realize that it's not necessarily you that the problem is happening to it's there's so much more to it and as the game continues and finally gets to its end you have that moment where you go oh shit that's what it is and you realize truly what's happened and it is gut-punching you know, I went into chapter two being like, holy crap. And my brain's going, what could this be? This could mean this, but this could be this, but this could also be this. Chapter three, no, it's not that. Maybe it's this now. By the time it gets to chapter four and eventually the final chapter, it went from, oh, it could be this to, it was that all along. And oh my God, that's a lot. Like it's one of those games that when the actual hand is tipped, I I had to pause and like take a moment to be like, okay, that's a lot on one, on one person. That's a lot to be happening. I need a second. Okay, we're good. Let's let's finish this damn thing. And it satisfyingly ends. Very satisfyingly ends. The only complaint I have with the end is that there is a bonus ending if you do all of the missions, which includes collecting twenty bottle caps. And I missed fucking one of them because of course i did that you miss out on a two-minute cutscene that i just youtube and honestly didn't add too much so i didn't feel like i missed anything but the at the end without doing the the bottle cap collections was very very touching and very well done and satisfyingly closed everything didn't leave going oh but what about this or what about that no everything done everything's good to go so story-wise Starts off really with good mystery, starts to ramp up the emotion in about the second chapter, keeps going further until <laughs> smacks you so goddamn hard. I don't cry in games. I welled up, I want to say, at least three different times in the last two chapters. I don't cry, but I can well. And by the time the game was over, that was the kind of game that I'm like, okay, this is over, and I'm never playing this again because I'm not doing this again. <laughs> It is so well done. And then the gameplay, honestly, I mean, it's it's very basic side-scroller, like, almost feels like Super Nintendo era. You know, like, choose your own, like, you're not uh, point-and-click adventure. But it has, like, the odd mix-up here. So it'll do, like, a sort of quick-time event, like, fighting mechanic. The puzzles are very, very well done. Some of them are a lot harder than others. Some of them are pretty straightforward. Some of them I'm like, okay... I'm going to need to stare at this for a minute so I can figure out what the hell's happening here. And then, as some people may have saw on the screen as well, like there's even like the odd like stealth mechanic in the game, which is kind of interesting. So hmm. 
it, it does a really good job of not just being the same gameplay over and over again so you don't feel too bored by it. And even if it was, the story would still carry it, but because there's enough variation that it also switches things up, it's really, really easy to play, even with the, the short length. Like, it could have been 10 hours, it could have been even 15, I would have been fine with it. And last but not least, there are cats. You can pet them and name all of them individually. And yes, that is an achievement in the game. You should find all of the cats and name them. That is something you have to do. And it's great. One of them is called Warlord, and he is the fluffiest, most adorable kitty in the world. They give you like That's three awesome. choices. There, eventually, you get like a random section where you're like, I don't like any of these names, so I guess I'm choosing this one. But there are a couple that you're like, how do you not pick that name? Yeah. So it's great. Yeah, Warlord, Warlord for a name of a cat is just hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's fucking phenomenal. It's awesome. But yeah, I, I fucking adore cool. this game. So on the pixel play scale of one to six, one being garbage, six being masterpiece, three and four kind of being, or yeah, three and four being the split between good and bad, where would you put this? Because I don't like decimals, I have to give it a six because I can't take enough off of this game to give it a five. Like if, okay. if because of the end, like the collectibles and like just me being really angry that the ending that apparently I had to collect everything for was like, honestly not that special you know i was very pissed off in the same way that like you know so many video get like oh my god that would be a whole other topic just the amount of like video games that if you want to like get the proper ending of the amount of work you have to put into it and it's not worth it thankfully mm -hmm. like i said i missed one bottle cap and that was honestly like it's not exactly hard to find them there's sparkles on the ground and you pass around these areas so many times that it's very easy to see them and I did everything else. It was one bottle cap that I missed. So it's not like it's hard to get that full completion. But like, I was so mad that I'm like, I didn't finish it. And you're going to rob me of two minutes. Like, you're going to rob me of the, of the true ending. And I looked at all of my lists. I'm like, I missed one. So like, there's that anger. But like, I, I still can't complain. This game, honestly, if, if you're into a much more emotional story, and it, it does touch on some sensitive stuff. So like I said, trigger warnings for that game. There is depression, suicide, and anxiety issues that are dealt with in that. Also abuse, I should say. There, there is definitely abuse in this game too. So like, be wary when you go in and play that stuff because there's some uncomfortable shit in there. It's meant to be very uncomfortable. So it's the kind of game that I would recommend for those, but only if you're in a good place because there was a point in co during COVID years that this would have been the worst game for me to play. Thankfully, we're not there anymore, so it's all good. But for those who do play it, it's essentially like six hours of some of the best like emotional storytelling that I've played in quite some time. Now, it's is it would it beat Hi-Fi Rush? No, I think Hi-Fi Rush would still be my game of the year right now. But this is a damn good second place right now. Damn good Simmer second place. Simmer down on game of the year. We're only we're not even done February yet. We're only one month in. Look, look, I got, I, I got to start, you know, comparing things. These are my two sixes for the year already. I've, we're in February, mid-February, and I've got two sixes. That's a good start. That's a good start. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for sticking with us. If you like what you've seen and you want to see more, we have a bunch of episodes here on YouTube. Just search for Pixel Play Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to be part of the show, you could join us live like we've been doing every, this week, and we'll probably do it again next week. Uh, 
go online around 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, pixelplaypodcast.com, or I guess just Pixel Play Podcast. Uh, and yeah, we have a Discord server. We have Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. So you can find us through our link tree. So link tr.ee forward slash Pixel Play Podcast. Thank you so much again, and we will see you guys next week. Bye for now.